the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about self-acceptance and discovery. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Corey Schiller, a transgender man, father of two, and social media activist whose life's work is to manifest himself into a superhuman. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Transgender Show. I'm your host, Emily. Corey began his journey 21 years ago at the age of 25. Since then, he's lived mostly, mostly in stealth and integrated into male culture undetected. He worked as an automotive mechanic for 10 years before beginning his spiritual journey on the Appalachian Trail in 2011. That adventure taught him a lot about strength and being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. He's been happily married for 10 years with two beautiful daughters who accept him as their father. Corey believes life is what you make it and has made his life's work to evolve and manifest himself into what he calls a superhuman. Everybody, welcome to the show. Corey. How are you doing, Emily? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being here, for being willing to join us and, and share your story. Absolutely. First off, um, just to for the record, to, to put it all on the table there, how do you identify? Uh, so I identify as he, him, his. Um, I identify as a father and a husband. Nice. I love it. And um, from our pre-interview, I know there's more to that. And I, I can't wait to dive into, into the other aspects of that that you're not quite sharing yet. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is great. This is the time where I get to get out my tools and, and mine that, all that information. As we jump into your story, my f- favorite question to start with is how did you choose your name? So um, it's funny. So people ask me this a lot of the times. And, you know, I wish I had a... Um, an amazing story to share. Um, it, it kind of literally just came to me one day and it just felt right. Um, I don't have any groundbreaking, um, discoveries or connections to my name. Um, you know, it, it, uh, my journey started a, a long time ago. It's sometimes hard to um, remember back to 2001 when my head was in the clouds um, to think of something to me being so simple as a name. Um, I know that it's not so simple, um, but it, it, it just came to me one day and it felt right. And I went with it and um, I never looked back since. That's awesome. And, you know, uh, one of the things that we'll say here during this episode, I know because of some of the points we talked about in the pre-interview, but just on the show in general, that every story is valid. And that's what we're here to show is that our journeys are all different. There, There are a lot of similarities, but there's nothing in your journey that's invalid because it's your journey. So in choosing your name, there's no, absolutely nothing invalid there either. Uh, as a TikTok creator, you actually have two two names you know you go by goose caboose uh there on tiktok goose caboose uh 2011 correct that is correct where does that name come from and what what special meaning does that hold for you it has a meaning right i didn't just pull it out of the air so uh some of the people that follow me um i can't see anybody other than you Mm -hmm. um so i don't know who's here i don't know who like knows me off of tiktok Um, I have shared this story before. So in 2011, um, I hiked the Appalachian Trail, right? And 
when you're on a long distance hiking trail, um, you are given what's called a trail name. Okay. And people refer to you by that trail name, not by your, but birth or chosen name. So I was always the guy hiking in the front of the pack. Right. And if you know how geese fly, they fly in formation like a V. Right. Mm -hmm. And the goose, the goose that's in the front is called the point goose. Okay. And so for a while I was point goose. Um, but then after a while, um, it became too long to say, and people just shortened it to goose. And the 2011 is the year that I hiked the Appalachian Trail. And caboose is just something my kids came up with because it rhymed with goose. <laughs> and it was fun. Nice. And uh, if you're any of the other geese in it, then the goose caboose is all you're looking at the entire time, I suppose. <laughs> That's right. So let's uh, let's do a quick audit of the chat and see if we can find out who is here that knows you. Um, we've got Emmy the Unicorn is somebody uh, is a name I'm not familiar with, so that might be uh, part of your squad. Songs of Love and Healing um, is somebody who is I think from Genie's Squad that's here. Uh, T Celerity K uh, says Goose with three exclamation points, so they know you. Genie, of course. Let's see who else. Is there an Emily in there? I'm assuming that would that would be the 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 Emmy, right? I would thought I saw. Sense. I thought, yeah, Emmy the unicorn, probably. That makes sense. Yeah, she would be a unicorn. She would be a unicorn. Spacey Marie uh, knows oh, yeah. you. Spacey's a, yeah. a, I think a recent uh, joiner of ours, <clears throat> and that's. That's about it. If you know Corey and want a shout out, uh, please put it in um, Ronson 70 age. Um, L Hun 1901. Um, there's, I, there's a there's a Kevin. Um, oh, no, no. I think these are from the previous show. So um, I think I've gone too back. I've uh, gone back too far. So if you would like a shout out to Corey so that he knows you're here, go ahead and put it in the chat and I will try and catch that. Let's go ahead and dive back into your story. So when did you first, not when did you first realize you were trans, but when did transgender, that term apply to you? When did you understand that that was who you were? <clears throat> I actually answered this question today to somebody on a live. Um, so for me, I always felt like something was just off. Right. Mm -hmm. I was raised and acclimated into society as a girl. Um, and I presented as such. And so I like girls. So I must be a lesbian. It made the most sense. I grew up in a very upper class conservative area, um, especially in the early 2000s when I feel mm -hmm. like the um, LGB community was finally, um, being seen as, um, you know, a way of life. It was normalized and the transgender community wasn't really visible at, at all, actually, mm -hmm. that I could remember. Um, it wasn't until I actually moved out of my parents' house in New York state and I moved to Western Massachusetts to be with a girl. Right. And she brought me to the campus pride center. 
And after we left there, she had asked me, um, so what did you think of so-and-so? And I was like, I don't know. It was fine. He was like a regular dude, right? And she's like, no, well, he is a transgender man. And I was like, what is that? What is that? I don't know what that means. She explained it to me, and I was like, what? That's a thing? That's a thing? I, I was like, holy crap. This is like the, the last puzzle piece right here. It made the most sense. It literally made everything in my life make sense at that very moment. I actually remember that moment. I was sitting in the car in the parking lot. We hadn't left the campus yet. And I was like, my world, my world like just opened up completely. So that was the first time that I actually understood and actually heard the term transgender. Mm -hmm. And that was probably in like, 2000 and um, no, uh, late 90s, to be fair, late 90s. And um, it was at that moment that I, I was just like, this is me. This is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. And I, I went from there. Wow. So there's your there's your egg crack moment. And uh, it sort of it sort of didn't even crack. It just exploded. Um, and when was it when how long after that did you actually start transitioning so i probably i feel like i began so i have a unique story because i feel like a lot of people aren't offered this opportunity in the fact that i was able to literally pick up my life and move someplace where nobody knew me and basically start completely over. I didn't have to worry about transitioning at work or at school or anything like that. I, I just blend right in, right? And um, that uh, it was probably two, year and a half, two years after that um, first realization um, that I began to socially transition. So I was always very like, masculine presenting um but you could still tell that i was just like a typical um lesbian as they would call it right butch lesbian um because every time i started to talk people just knew because of my voice and i and i had obvious girl parts and stuff like that and um it was uh it was it was amazing to be able to be seen for the first time as a man um, and then I, I, I looked further. It was difficult. It was difficult to medically transition in, in the early 2000s. Um, it's definitely not anywhere near what it is like today, which is relatively easy. I don't want to say it's like easy because I know it's not easy for everybody, but compared to how it was, like the steps that you had to take in order to medically transition were a lot more intensive than they are today. Um, I had to, um, see uh, a therapist, not any kind of therapist, had to be a gender therapist. Um, they had to follow what was called the Harry Benjamin Standards of Care, which is now uh, WPATH. Um, and um, I needed to basically, um, in order to medically transition, I had to clock so many hours in therapy, and I had to have um, lived as the opposite 
gender for, I think it was like a minimum of two years wow. to qualify to be able to get a, um, a referral to go see a doctor to get testosterone. And when I did that, um, I had to, there, there weren't doctors that were local to me. I had to actually drive to, to Boston. So I was in Western Mass. If you know how the state of Massachusetts is shaped, it's basically a rectangle. And I lived on one end and Boston was on the other. And to take, it's about a two and a half hour ride. And I would drive. I would drive uh, at least once every two weeks to Boston to get my testosterone injection because at the time it had to be performed under the supervision of a doctor, not like today. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I could talk, I could talk, and I could talk. So you just you just cut me off and interrupt me if I'm saying too much. Fair enough. I'll do that. I'm usually pretty skilled at that, unless you're talking about something that, that's really important and it, it's pertinent to what we were what we were asking in the question. And you know, uh, yeah, it's it's really tough. It 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 is still very difficult for a lot of people to transition. And what it used to be is was really insane that you had to prove for so long that you that you were living as that before you could actually become that. And it's like, you know, your your problems with your voice that sort of blows me away that like testosterone from what I've heard the people I've interviewed works very fast within six months you you can you've got a your, your voice is deepening you can grow facial hair these sort of things um and it's just like it, you know how are you going to blend and be taken seriously as a man without you know being able to to get the voice and some of these other attributes uh it it's it's sort of baffling I'm glad that we're past that dark ages of of transitioning um, absolutely and and gotten into into something a little bit more modern and now of course everybody is pushing back and freaking out and and acting like um we're taking over the world but um we can keep them keep thinking that because we really should anyways um i did want to talk a little bit about some of the people i did see that um uh someone said that i should just introduce them as l uh, you would know them as just the letter l and, um, or that that's, that's how I should, should mention them. And songs of love and healing is El- Elisa or Elisa. Oh, okay. Yep. I know Elisa. Okay. I'm not, I don't, I don't know about L. I don't know if they feel comfortable saying their full name. Is that the same unicorn person? No, that was, uh, um, oh, and I lost it again. Darn it. It's okay. Um, that was the L hun. I will find. I'll find it. Whoever again. it is that knows me, they're probably gonna like hit you upside hit me upside the head after. Be like, I can't believe you didn't know I who believe I it. was. I yeah, yeah. You're letting your you're letting your fans and your friends down. It's fine. Um, <laughs> the uh, rest of the chat basically devolved as they got into talking about your beard. Someone mentioned uh, that that you said <laughs> you'd asked about shaving it and and um, and then they were saying that that's the only reason that they follow you or that's the whole. Yep. They, they say I should have my beard should have its own TikTok. <laughs> so um, that's yeah okay and then, and then good we got some questions coming in keep those coming in I love it um so we're the the follow up question that I usually ask and let, let's go ahead and stick with it to when did you learn and identify that you were trans what were some of the 
the breadcrumbs looking back once that all fell into place your egg exploded and you knew the through line um in all of your life what were some of the key clues that should have pointed you to being transgender mm -hmm. um when you didn't have that language um i feel like um at a very early age you know i um i, I never really fit in with the girls you know, I remember my 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 parents, my mother, trying to set up these uh, play dates with the girls so I could like learn how to play and have some girlfriends and do all these like girly things, right? And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to go, you know, ride my dirt bike with the boys and go skateboarding, right? And um, and then of course you hear things like, oh, well, you know, she's just a tomboy and she just likes to do things like that. They used to use the term rough and tumble, you know? Mm -hmm. And like back in the day, like I remember reading that in my gender therapist's letter, a rough and tumble kind of person, right? Cause I like to get dirty and do stuff like that. Um, I never, I mm -hmm. never um, felt seen. I never felt seen it's hard to explain it's almost like like someone is looking at you but they're like looking past you at the same time it was hard to feel um love for anything in my life i was in constant conflict of like not understanding why i was feeling this way you know um my parents you know they took me to therapists psychiatrists they did everything to try and help me because I was depressed. I was, I had suicide attempts. I was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital for, you know, to keep me safe. Right. And everybody would always ask, well, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong? There's gotta be something. And I was like, I just don't know. I just, I don't feel normal. There's something wrong. Like, like this is my body, but like, I feel here. Like I'm not in, it's like separate, like this is a shell and I'm on the outside looking in, you know? Yeah. And, um, at the time I didn't have the language. I didn't have the language to say my brain doesn't align with my body because, you know, it makes sense now, you know, like those are the correct words. But at the time I didn't know that. And if I did, I probably wouldn't even say that out loud because like, God forbid, say something taboo in like a conservative middle-class neighborhood and people are just like, what? You know, like, oh my God, there's a gay person that lives down the road. God, you know, it's like big deal. So, you know, I could look back, I could look back on my past, my upbringing, my upbringing, oh, I can't even talk, my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I could see, I could see everything that at the time was very confusing for me that makes a lot of sense now, Yeah, you know? I could even talk about like relationships that I've had with men, right? And um, thinking to myself like, I guess this is what like girls do, right? You, you, you have sex with guys, right? This is what all the girls in school are doing. So I tried it and I was like, this is really odd and it doesn't feel normal and natural. And I was like, and it was boring. I was like, this is boring. 
Like, right? I was like, he's obviously getting something from it, but like, what? Like, what about me? Right? Yeah. So, and the, um, the, just the general assumption is that like this is what life is for others. I'm I'm a, I'm I'm weird, um, and I'm I'm not getting something, but this is what it's supposed to be. So I, this is what exactly. I, I should I should try and be. I love um a lot of what you said in that it's it's a like sort of a, a perfect description for our cis friends and even the cis people that aren't our friends um, of, of what it means to be trans that just complete disconnect and not understanding why, but feeling like everything is just off and wrong. I also love that, you know, we're, we, talked before the show that we're very close to the same age i mean we're that we, we, we're the same age we're just very very close very very close to being um, months yeah months months apart um and you mentioned not being able to 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 let it slip that that you were gay uh back in those days my perspective i remember like there were people in the public sphere that you that sort of everybody knew were gay but you like nobody talked about it. It wasn't like publicly out. Like even Elton John, from my from what I remember being a kid in the late eighties, early nineties, was like everybody thought he was gay, but but no one like ever like talked about it. And like it wasn't something public. Mm-hmm. It was just this weird thing of like we 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 knew all these people were or suspected they were, but nobody was talking about it. So yeah, I, I mean being gay was that trans wasn't wasn't even a thing um you you would see like the people who would get sex changes or whatever would be on the trash talk shows but that was as as deep as it got right those were those were the images that people had in their in their minds you know jerry springer circus freaks you know rocky horror picture show things like that you know silence of the lambs you know and um we never had positive um representation and i feel like we're getting there we're getting there we do have some positive um representation on the celebrity level um but i i I still feel like we have a long road to go yeah and there's two things about that one um there there aren't a ton of good positive uh role models that are getting good press you know we've got uh leah thomas right now that that is swimming and and is gaining uh, notoriety there but there's so much backlash against her and her journey that it's like it's great to see that for our our trans youth out there but you know when the entire world is turning on her so much it's like it's sort of almost worse in a way you know it we have our, so many of our own internalized fears of what it would be to come out and and all of that and and you know should we are we valid and when you just see that kind of public backlash i can't i can't imagine what that does to you internally about your courage to come out and talk about yourself in the terms of of somebody that's so derided currently so yeah. Uh, again, a lot of really good points for our allies and friends about what it truly means to be trans and why it's so hard for us growing up and and coming out. Was there a was there a period? Uh, you mentioned your your egg cracking. Was there a period where you had to come to terms and learn to accept the fact that you were trans? Did you struggle with that in any way? Or was that just such a relief for you to hear and to be able to connect those dots that it was just like, let's go? 
that was basically it. Um, once I realized that, I felt like I was in um, survival mode in a way, right? I was like um, full steam ahead. Um, I had no support. Um, nothing was um, advertised as like like a um, uh, like um what's it called? Like a guidebook. There was no guidebook. There was no. Um, I didn't have any other trans people to look up to or to help to guide me. You know, I was doing a lot of like just um, looking and just like calling random doctors on my own um, and having to basically, you know, share my story to each of these doctors. And hopefully, hopefully one of them will accept me and take me on, Mm -hmm. you know, as a patient, you know. Um, But yeah, I mean, there, you know, that, you know, my experience was just very much like as soon as I realized that what I had to do, um, I, I have a very a strong personality type of being, um, my wife likes to say I'm very impulsive. And like, um, when I get something in my head, I will not let it drop until I fulfill it. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and it's not just my transition. It's like across the board, everything in my life. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, um, it was a relief. It was definitely a relief and um, just had to be done. You mentioned earlier that you were able to change towns and kind of go through a lot of this in your own safe space where you were writing the story as it was happening. Was there, I know there were some areas where you did need to come out and, you know, tell people that you were, transgender and we're going to be transitioning um how did you approach that and were you know was there a method that you used in a lot of (laughs) cases or um you know what were the different what were some of the different ways that you had that you used to come out to the people that you knew um so at the time um i was living in a very fortunately i was living in a very um accepting town in Western Massachusetts called Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, They basically call it like the gay Mecca of the state, almost like a false reality because the real world doesn't actually work this way that happened in this town. You know, like the mayor of the town was a lesbian. Everybody was gay. It was like a gay heaven, right? Everybody. And um, um, I, I never... I was very, it's so funny. So I'm not on TikTok. So I feel like I could say things that I wouldn't normally be able to say on TikTok because I would get like blocked immediately. Um, Well, anyway, so one of the words I wasn't allowed to say on TikTok was D-Y-K-E. Okay. Uh And uh, that was like a flag for TikTok. And I said it one time and um, I got like taken down, whatever. Um, So um, I was, you know, back in the day, that was like, People use that word with pride. They use it with pride. They're like, I'm a proud that, right? And so I was, I was like, I was one of those. I was one of those. And um, I feel like a lot of um, women in the lesbian community at the time, and I'm sure there's still many out there today, would often say things to me like, um, we're losing all of our butch lesbians to the trans community. And uh, it was personal to them. It was personal. 
It's true. It's true. And, you know, there's a lot of diehard lesbians out there also who are like, um, I only date women and you should only date women if you're a lesbian. And if you uh, call yourself a lesbian and then you go and you date a man, then you're a fraud. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I was I was actually nervous to come out to some of my friends um, and a lot of people I didn't because the town that I lived in is very much a transient town of college students. Okay. So Mm -hmm. people come and go, um, every like two to four years. And, um, I feel like the hardest person that I had to come out to were my parents. Um, I come from a very, um, conservative Jewish, uh, family, with a long lineage in, you know, the Holocaust and all of this stuff, right? My father's a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. I have pharmacists in my family, people who understand what taking hormones does to the body. And um, I wrote them a long email first because I knew that um, I would not be able to say everything that I wanted to say if I was right in front of them because I'm very in tune with people's like body language and reactions when I'm saying things to them. So I was able to write them an email. I gave them a week. I followed up with them. I didn't talk to my parents for probably like a good year. Okay. Um, it, it took about 10 years, 10 years for my parents to take down the old pictures on the walls in my house and use me by use me use the, the proper name and pronouns. It took them a long time, but they finally came around and uh, we are closer than ever now as I am with my uh, my two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. Long-winded answer, Emily. Uh, well, see, the thing is, is sometimes I will let you go because you are um, not only answering the question that I asked, but then you'll answer the follow-up question. So it's just like, <laughs> oh, I'll just let you keep going. It's fine. I took two out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, because uh, after asking, you know, what was, what were some of the techniques you used for coming out? You know, we talk about uh, how successful those were and then who was your, your most difficult to come out. Um, you know, one of the things I love to talk about here on the transverse in general and with our community is the idea of patience. And it sounded like, um, that was something you learned very strongly with your parents and and the fact that it took 10 years. Um, What is your perspective now on the patience needed and involved in, in transitioning? The patience in transitioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Another great question. Another question that I get, I get asked a ton, a ton of like, how long is it going to take for me to grow facial hair? How long did it take you to do this? How long before this happens? And, um, my, my answer is, you know, you know, it's called a journey for a reason. Right. And, um, in, in a journey, it's not always going to be easy. Um, and it's hard. It's really effing hard, you know, because the decisions that you make in your life as in order to be happy and successful affect the lives of other people as well. Um, And that was a really hard concept for me to grasp because I always grew up very close to my family. 
And I knew that they were struggling and were uncomfortable with it because it's like a domino effect, right? So I go home. I go home to meet my, to see my parents. I go out to lunch with my parents. When I eat lunch with my parents, my parents run into friends and their friends are like, how is your daughter doing? And my parents say, my daughter is my son now. And then that rate, that opens up a whole new box of questions that my parents now have to field and answer and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, it takes patience. You have to allow people some grace and time to accept and accept you and find their own way of healing and understanding because, you know, as a transgender man with two little girls, um, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact of being transgender, but I feel like if one of my daughters came to me and told me when they were in their teens or twenties that they felt this way their entire life and they wanted to transition to be a man, of course I would be a hundred percent behind them, but it would be hard even for me because those are my children and I've raised them and I've known them for X amount of years one way Right. And it's hard, you know, when they, you know, and I don't mean to be offensive or, you know, to anybody who's listening. Um, I don't want that to come off that way. But, um, you know, just because we we identify and live our life this way doesn't mean that we're immune to to things that you would think we wouldn't be. You know, it's hard for anybody, you know switching pronouns, you know, names, seeing somebody completely in a gender that you hadn't seen before, you know, it's hard, you know, it's an adjustment and it's a learning curve for a lot of people. And, you know, I don't need people to um, agree with me. I don't need people to accept me. I just need people to show me the same amount of respect that I show them. Thank you so much for for all of those wonderful points. I love you know that perspective of even though that you're a, a transgender parent, um, and and have that perspective that then if if your daughters came to you and you know identified as something else, there's an adjustment period for you. I, I think there's a really important honesty in that, and I think it gets to the the core of that question of the patience in other people you we take so long to develop an, an under develop an understanding of who we are and what all the stuff that's going on in our brains means so that when we come out we're ready for it like we've put all the pieces together we understand it a, as much as we can and we we get started on the journey whereas <clears throat> Your the parents' perspective, they've spent their entire life trying to keep you alive. 
and trying to steer you in the right direction. And a lot of that comes from societal expectations and their own expectations and, and their own understanding of the entire situation, the, the, the way the world works, the way the family works and the way it works for the individual child. So there, there is a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen in, in coming out because um, it's, it's shifting a lot in someone's brain. It's not as simple as, as a name and pronouns. There's a lot more that goes into it. And it's not, and, and you being honest about the fact that you would probably even struggle with that a little bit to some regard, um, really helps illuminate that, that need for that patience and the understanding of their perspective and what, what they need to be able to get on board. Because I think it's really easy for us to look at our own internalized transphobia, look at the negative reactions of society towards trans folks, and um, then see our parents kind of rejecting it and just say, the entire world's against me. This is this is horrible and and be really negative about it. Whereas it's like, no, the you know, yeah, there there are horrible things going on in the world, but my parents are there for me. They just need the time to to get up to speed. And anybody would struggle with this idea. So very, very important pieces in that. Um, I did want to kind of go back to something and it's seeming a little less important now, but it's something that, that always fires me up here um, is the gatekeeping that goes on, particularly within the LGBT and even sometimes in the trans community, those things like, like, if you're a lesbian, you're supposed to be a gold star lesbian. You've got to stick to it. Um, otherwise, they feel that you're you've betrayed them, or or they're, mm -hmm. you're somehow challenging um, their validity in some way. Are there other <clears throat> aspects or other situations where you've run into that kind of thing, where your identity is somehow um, within the? I mean, I know the cis community, obviously, but within the LGBT community where your identity is, is affecting them in some way from their perspective. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you know, um, growing up in the, in the lesbian community, you know, you know, I, it was a community, you know, it was a place where I felt safe. Um, I, a lot of energy went into my identity, my, a lot of close, close friends and family members that I consider. Um, and when I transitioned, um, in a way I felt ostracized from the community um, because now I'm a man, right? And mm -hmm. I pass. And like, why is there a man in my space now? And I feel like my wife could, um, this resonates with her as well, being somebody who um, predominantly had dated women in her past and then being seen as somebody now in a heteronormative relationship to the outside world, I feel like there is definitely um, this loss of identity for my wife as well, you know? And on the other end of it, you know, like, so we all, all we want to do and be seen by society as who we are. So I want to be seen as a man. Um, I want to be accepted into male only spaces. Yet for some reason, when I'm in those intimate spaces with men, it feels a little off and uncomfortable. 
Um, it feels that way because um, I can't really contribute a lot to the stories they share about growing up as a boy and doing stuff with their dad, right? Um, it's it's challenging. So I kind of feel like I'm always in this like gray area of like, where do I belong? What are, you know, other than the trans community, you know, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if my wife, you want to have her speak on her experience of what it was like um, basically coming out to, you know, we got married. When we got married, um, my whole family obviously knew about me, but hers did not. Mm-hmm. Her family did not know about her father walking me down the aisle, her down the aisle. To me, he thought that he was giving his daughter away to a cis man, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Bethany, I don't know if you want to talk about <laughs> your experience a little bit about living as a um, someone who dated women uh-huh. And then dating a man, and how that made you feel in your identity. Oh, he's panning me on. Hi, Emily. Hello. <laughs> so, just so everybody knows, in, in chat, we were talking in the pre-interview about the potential of bringing Bethany on for some some things, probably um, in a big part in the after and in right. the after but show. So, here I um, am. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, welcome to the show, Bethany. So great to have Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, gosh, yeah. I mean it. He's, he's right. Like half my family didn't, probably most of my family didn't know that when we were getting married, that I was marrying a trans man. Um, and part of that, um, I think comes from, you know, when we first started dating, like he, he was very stealth, um, and he passes very well. Like, I I don't know if that's a, he, he, you would not really be able to, um, you know, that wouldn't be the first thing that you thought when you looked at him. So, um, yeah, I think my, my family was a little surprised when I started dating a guy. Some of them I told, um, the ones that I trusted and felt comfortable with. Um, you know, I had a little bit of a tumultuous relationship with my dad. So that was kind of like a, I was like, I just kind of want him to walk me down the aisle. And I'm afraid if I tell him that part, <laughs> that maybe he wouldn't, and that would be really heartbreaking. And I also didn't want anybody to see him anything other than who he was. Like, I know that, um, you know, he, the way he feels, he just wants people to see him as a man. And I didn't want to make it a thing. I wanted my family to see him like that. And I didn't necessarily trust all of them to be, you know, that gracious. Um, we have since resolved all of that. My entire family is aware. Um, and they've all been wonderful. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they've all been really wonderful. I can't, I can't really say that it was a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, I mean, there, there must've been something, you know, you, you have to approach them at some point in your youth and say, I'm a lesbian and mm-hmm. and come out to them as that and then and then you um yeah you so then it kind <laughs> have of to come like, out to them as as now then it kind of then it kind of fits the narrative of like oh it was just a phase right well i say so i grew up in the south which is not exactly the most accepting place for you know gay people 
Um, and my dad was a Methodist minister. So, you know, I just kind of, I, I moved out of the South because I wanted to be in a community that was going to be more accepting of me. Like after I graduated, I moved up to Boston, mm-hmm. um, because they were the first place to legalize gay marriage. Like that was a thing. And I was like, Whoa, that's a thing. I can actually be queer in Boston and actually live my life. So I'm going to go move there. See you later guys. Um, but yeah, I think he, going back to the point that Corey was making, though, like it is a loss of community. I feel like at first um, we do have to constantly work at reaching out to other queer people in mm-hmm. order to maintain that connection um, because we do appear to be a heterosexual couple. And, you know, that's great and all. But at the same time, it's, you know, there's a little piece of that community that's missing. You want to be able to identify with your friends um, in, a, in, a diff- in a different way. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's work. It takes work <laughs> well, to yeah, find such a, That's such a fascinating dynamic. So Corey hit on something that I want to address again um, in a minute because um, it's, it's something that, that I've been feeling a lot recently is that um, the in-between that you get kind of get stuck in um, as a trans person, as you know, you you get away from the identity that isn't right for you, and you get into the identity that is right for you, um, where you didn't feel good in the gender you were born in. So you transition, and you don't feel you don't feel like you fit in in the gender that you identify as because you didn't have all of that experience growing up. You didn't have it beaten into your head. You you just don't have that pers- that right perspective. So you just yeah that gray area where you feel like disconnected. And then from Bethany's perspective, the way it worked out is she appears now to be heteronormative, um, and you know, on one one hand seems to have eschewed her community and and people feel like oh you're you know you're um just in a phase um but then you blend perfectly into cis normative society and have to prove your <laughs> your queerness constantly to the 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 gay community and i just think that that wow that's that's th- those dynamics together play into making it a for a really interesting emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Spot on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Complicated. Well, it's yeah. complicated. Well, I'm I, you know, um, Bethany, I'm I'm sorry that you have, have had to go through that because of this. Like uh, that must make it very difficult. It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. Well, I always he's I, worth it, right? Like it's it. mm, but he him. I always I always say that it's uh, a lot easier for me to date her than it is for her to date me. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Wow. That's fascinating. Thank you both so much for sharing that and I can't wait to get um, Bethany back on. We made it we she made her need her own episode now. Um <laughs> So, you know, you mentioned early on, you know, we were we're old. There wasn't there wasn't even the term trans when we, when um, you know, this could have started for us. What was it like for you when you first started to to seek out trans community? Um, I know my personal experience and why I like to ask this is there was a there was a, a bit of a false start. And 
I wasn't ready for it. So I kind of had a backlash and it took me a long time to be able to get back out there and find a community. When you first tried to find other people like you, what was that experience like? Um, I, I actually, I, I didn't, I didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert. I don't really like people that much. Um, it's hard. I get, I get, um, I get um, pretty bad, like social anxiety, right? So I, I usually have to be pushed pretty hard to to do things that are uncomfortable. Um, and at the time, my therapist that I was seeing uh, told me about this transgender campout in Central Massachusetts. It was just guys, trans dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, wow. What am I gonna? What am I gonna do? Well, like, I'm just gonna go camping. Yeah, okay. So I went, and um, I met my best friend there. Actually, that I'm still friends with now. That um, he he basically you know transitioned maybe like a month or two before me, but outside of that, um, I didn't have a community. I didn't have a community. Um, I um, I was, um, I was a, like a loner in a way. Um, I, I felt very, um, self-absorbed in my transition. Um, it was hard for me to have intimate relationships because I felt like I couldn't give, um, the attention that is required to another person because I was so hyper-focused on myself. Mm-hmm. It was all about me, right? And what I needed to do in order to, and I think that's normal for when people are first transitioning, right? They're learning. It's brand new. You know, when you're young, you you know, your, your family, your parents, they, they guide you. They guide you one way or the other of like, this is what boys do. This is what girls do. You dress like this, you play with these kind of things. And then you turn 25 years old. And it's basically like being dropped on the doorstep, right? With no supervision, no guidance whatsoever. And you're like, well, what the fuck do I do now? I don't have anybody showing me and teaching me how to be a man, right? And so I feel like what ends up happening a lot of the time, and I fell victim to it as well, is that what do we do, right? We look for role models, and, you know, we look for the, the machoist, the manliest of men in, in the media, right? Because we want to emulate that. We want to be seen as like a macho guy, right? And what better way, first of all, to, um, you know, I became a mechanic. What The most gender-affirming career you could possibly think of. I chose a career that would like totally just like, put me right in there. If I could pass in this career field, I will be okay in the world. And I was, I was. But a problem that I find a lot of the time is people look up to these types of men that are very toxic, very toxic, right? They exude toxicity, right? And they feel like that is what it takes. That is what being a man is like. And it's not. It is not. You could be masculine and not be toxic at the same time. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, um, 
it's eye opening. It's eye opening. And you don't always see it while you're in it. And I didn't see it until I grew up and I look back on things and I was like, God, that was a really shitty thing that I did. Mm. You know, I wish I had the role models that I am finding people are looking at me as on social media. They look at me as like, it's so good to see an older trans person. You know, it makes me see that my life is going to turn out okay. I never had that. And it's mind blowing to me to be seen in that light. Yeah. It's humbling. Mm -hmm. On that note, in transition, when you started, when you thought about it and, and started to put together um, who it was that you wanted to end up being, did you have a roadmap? And then as you went through, did your goals shift? So I know this is going to sound really lame and cheesy, okay? So I didn't have like some celebrity to look up to. Um, I, you know, I looked up to my dad, you know, I, you know, I always admired his, his courage and his strength and his wisdom also, his engagement in our lives. And um, all I ever wanted to do was be as good of a father as he was to me. And uh, I try to do that for my kids now, you know. And um, now that um, I have transitioned, he he treats me in a way that I wish he had treated me when I was younger as like his son, you know, like he shows me things, you know, that like, you know, it's a little outdated, you know, his thinking, you know, my dad's like in his seventies, you know, you know, and so he's, he's a little outdated with his philosophies and like stereotypical roles of men and women. Right. But, um, he definitely sees me. I feel seen by him. And, um, he, you know, he is a successful man in every area of his life. And I've always aspired to be that person, you know, um, in my career to be successful, to be in a successful marriage, to be happy in my life, to raise children correctly. I don't know if there's a correct way, to be honest with you, <laughs> but to raise them, you know, to the best that I can to show them, you know, every angle of life that is available to them, you know, introduce them to different types of people, different families, and allow them to grow in any direction that they want. And um, I thank my dad for that immensely. And I've told him that many times. Hmm. It's interesting. Mimi brings up something. I don't think that this will resonate with you, but I'm just kind of curious in that, you know, because as you set out to, to, you know, find role models. You found some toxic ones, but you also wanted to model yourself after your dad. Mimi mentions that one of the one of the reasons she um, was pushed towards transition was she didn't want to end up like her dad. And I, I that's something that resonates with me. Just like, oh, I that's just that there was that example of what I absolutely knew I didn't want to become. Mm. And as I started thinking about you know identifying as transgender that was actually a problem for me that is it just that i reject masculinity in some way that um th that is kind of causing this like is it sort of like an invalid invalidating reason was there anything like that with you uh, with your relationship with your mother <laughs> oh that's a good question um 
No, I mean, I feel like I've I've also taken attributes of her with me along the way, you know, um, for better or worse, right? Um, my mother is an extremely strong woman. She was born in 1947, right after World War II in Germany, after my grandparents survived the Holocaust. They moved here when she was five years old to um, Manhattan. And um, they, they had to survive. My mother is a survivor, you know, and she is strong. She is basically the glue that holds our family together. And I feel like, you know, I never really saw her as somebody that like, I didn't want to be, you know, you know, yeah, of course, like, you know, physically, you know, I didn't want to be like, and you know, I, I was the only girl of two boys. You know, I was the only girl in the family. So, of course, my parents were like, you know, hoping, you know, that I would, you know, have a, a, a family and birth my own children and do all that stuff, you know. And, um, you know, but they, they love me for who I am. And, you know, I think my parents did a wonderful job raising all of us. You know, I know that they would you know, may disagree if you ask them that question. But um, I definitely feel like um, I'm proud of my upbringing. I'm proud of, you know, my having the fort, you know, being fortunate to have so loving and accepting parents, as well as two wonderful brothers who are also very accepting, even though one of them is in a very strict religious sect of Judaism, which would not normally accept me. Hmm. That's uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm taking over your show. No, 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 of course not. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I just had so many things going on in my, my head. It's, it's even, it's tough to figure out where to, um, where to go with that. You know, the, there's, there's just so much, it's, it's wonderful that your family has found that acceptance for you and the, and the things that you've gone through. What were some of the the fears that you ran into in your journey? I mean, you're doing this on your own without a roadmap, without early on, without a role model. Um, what were the fears that you struggled with and how did you overcome those to, to find your confidence and to move forward in your journey? Wow. Um, fears that I had. Um, they're probably not fears that, um, a lot of people would consider to be fears. I think there were fears of like, you know, having to do things on my own because it was uncomfortable because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert and I don't like having to talk to people on the phone, you know, doing this with you, you know, this is like out of my comfort zone, you know, mm -hmm. the fact, the fact that I can't see the audience is a great help. If I saw the audience, um, it would be very difficult for me. But, you know, I'm just feeling like it's just like you and I talking, you know. Um, I was fearful of that. I was fearful, of course, of like my parents not accepting me. Of course, you know, that was a fear, you know. But I knew my parents. I knew that, you know, they would always love me. They always said that to me, that they would always love me no matter what. Okay. So I knew that they weren't going to be... Um, um, dis not disappointed. They, they weren't going to be like disowning of me of any, on any level. Um, I was fearful of things that, um, weren't, um, proven to be successful as far as like 
HRT, you know, that is, you know, we don't, we don't know what the long-term effects are with testosterone or estrogen. Um, you know, that is, you know, they, they, that is why you have to go through all these hurdles because they say it's not an FDA approved, you know, method of, of treatment. Right. And that, um, there's no, um, um, there's, there's not enough science or research to be able to say like what the long-term effects will be. So of course, right. Like everybody has fears, you know, but you know, those fears didn't outweigh, you know, how I felt like I was willing to take on any risks that may have been presented to me because I didn't feel like I could physically live in this world without transitioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the truth. And, and I'm so sad to hear the very common thread for a lot of trans folks. And, and that is that period of struggle that you had where before you were able to transition, before you even knew you were trans of the self-harm and, and those, you know, those really dark thoughts, something that I, I definitely went through and experienced myself. Um, and so, I mean, I'm just glad to see that we, we both made it to the other side of it, right? Yeah, Emily, so do I. And it just kind of made me think of something. Um, so I have a lot of tattoos on my, on my body, right? And people always ask me, you know, they're whole fascinated of like, can you give us a tattoo tour? Tell us what your tattoos mean, right? Mm -hmm. And to be fair, you know, a lot of my tattoos cover up a lot of scars on my body that, um, that were there um, from doing a lot of self-harm. Um, and you know, I don't tell people that I don't tell people that because, um, I'm, I'm over it. It mm -hmm. was a time in my life and I don't want to be reminded of those, those awful dark years. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I understand that completely. I, you know, I just understand the importance of, of in a, in a sitting like this, while we're talking about what a journey looks like for for all of for a wide range of different <clears throat> trans folks to help show other people that these feelings that you're having the the confusion even down to the really dark stuff is something that a lot of us go through you're not alone you're not unique you're not a freak there's nothing wrong with you you just have to get to the point where you're living your true life and it all just seems to open up, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. You know, and um, I also feel like um, transitioning is go is not going to is not the magic pill for curing all of your problems in life, which people think will. You know, if you were depressed, if you had financial problems, if you had any kind of troubles in your life, they're still going to be there after you transition. And people feel, I find, feel like once they, I constantly hear like, once I transition, everything will be fine, you know? And for some, maybe it is, you know, but for a lot of people, you know, you get to a point where you're at the, like the apex of your transition and there, you know, you, you have shit still in your life that you have to deal with now. Still, it didn't make it go away. You know, I still have anxiety. I had anxiety before. I have anxiety still. I had oh. depression before. I have it still. 
Well, and that that key point that, like I said, I, I'm I'm it's starting to come very front of mind for me, and and it, it really brightly illuminated is that idea that even once you transition, it's hard to just blend in. Um, medically, it's difficult to blend in with the gender you identify with if you are one of the few lucky ones that are able to to get there feeling like you truly belong there is still something is still something that that's really hard to achieve because you don't have those experiences so it really it really in some ways kind of affects you in the same way that the dysphoria did before of like i'm not fitting in the same way the, the way that i expect to and you internalize that and say that there's something else wrong with me Absolutely, Emily. Absolutely. People, people don't understand. They cannot believe when I tell them that I still experience dysphoria. They do. I still experience dysphoria. Um, it is, believe me, it is not like how it used to be. I don't have it every single day, but it does creep up on me. Um, you guys only know me and see me like this. You never, you didn't know me before I transitioned, like I could see underneath this beard. I could see my body. I could see who I was, you know, and it still affects me. It's hard to believe probably for a lot of people that when I say I could look in a mirror and still see a girl there looking back at me. Yeah, that was, that was a struggle. That was a, a tough one. And then I got, I don't know about for you, but I got to this really strange point where, um, you know, I, I would have that. I'd look in the, I'd uh, put on a, a nice dress, full face of makeup, jewelry, everything. I'd look in the mirror, mirror and I'd see a dude. And then other times I'd wake up in the morning and I hadn't shaved for a day and a half. I had not even just like a five o'clock shadow. I had stubble and I looked like trash and I'd walk past the mirror and I'd go, there she is. I would see Emily. Did you have moments like that where like see, sort of even at, at what you felt was your worst, like you would, <sighs> you would finally see Corey? Ah, uh, you know, before TikTok, I never, um, I never talked like this ever. Um, it's kind of therapeutic for me. Um, people don't normally come up to me and just like ask me questions, right? Um, so I put myself out there on social media and it's, it's helpful for me and it's actually given me a lot of more confidence than I had before. Um, I feel seen, I feel like I'm connecting with people. Um, I still have moments like that, Emily. I do. Um, they are far in between, thankfully. Um, but it's funny, right? It's funny that like in your worst moments is when like you see yourself in the most affirming way. <laughs> it makes no sense one bit. Um, and, and I cannot explain it, but then other times I will like, I will get like really dappered up, put on a suit, get dressed up mm -hmm. and I will feel so goddamn insecure. Like everybody's going to know that I'm, I was once a girl. Even though I'm like in a three-piece suit with a tie, I look good. But then when I'm walking around in like a pair of gym shorts and like no shirt on, I'm just like fat hanging out everywhere. I'm just like, you look like a fucking hot dad, you know? Why is that? Why can't we feel comfortable in the image that we have in our head of how we want to look? Yeah. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's um, it's not a cautionary tale because, you know, we did talk about, or you did mention that transition doesn't fix everything in your life. It does fix the way everything feels, though. Like, it does feel better. Even in those times when you don't feel like you fit in completely, like, just <clears throat> you being feels better. And so that is the thing that makes transition worth it. And I, I think that, that yeah, even through all of this and even those moments of, of the dysphoria, the, that, that those dysphoria moments just kind of rock us back all the way to the beginning momentarily. But I think you're then quickly reminded of, of how blessed you are to be at this place. And, and it's so much better where you are now. And maybe those reminders are kind of nice of like, oh yeah, I've really made it a long way, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, people ask me like, how do you deal with the dysphoria? You know, and I try, I try and do things in my life that I can do to eliminate it. You know, um, one of the biggest forms of dysphoria that I had was having to self-inject myself with testosterone every two weeks. It was a constant reminder that I had to do this thing. Um, and it, it, it kind of like always like punched me in the face when that happened. And so in order to, um, um, mitigate that situation, I started to just use a different form of testosterone where I have, um, implants done at a doctor's office. Mm -hmm. There are pellets that go under my skin that could change that, that don't get changed out. They dissolve in every four to five months. And in my mind, I'm just going into the office to have a procedure done. And I don't have to worry or think about giving myself injections. And that eliminated that level of dysphoria. Wow. So whatever yeah. you, yeah. So whatever you can do, you know, to make your life easier. I That's suppose. interesting. I I had one month's worth of injections, and the problem was is they were they were too expensive. You know, the the pills are just so cheap for me, and that that it, it, you know financially it wasn't something that I wanted to to keep doing. Um, it was funny because there was something about it that felt super adult. Like I was, I was like, you know, like, um, giving yourself an injection. Like I'm practically a doctor now. Like I'm just, you know, cause I can, I can handle needles. I can do the whole thing and, you know, you know, do the flicking and keep, you know, uh, everything sterile and all that fun you're, stuff. You're um, so funny. But yeah, there's something, I mean, it's, it's so much more conscious. You're so much more aware of it. it it's much more of a procedure. Whereas a pill you just, you take like, you know, you're taking aspirin or any other thing, or, you know, a lot yep. of us have to take pills regularly anyways. So it's just not even a thing. And, and I, I do appreciate that perspective on find the way, the ways to, you know, to do those things that kind of let it, let it slip into the, into just the day to day, instead of bringing attention to the fact that I am transitioning and reminding yourself. I love that. Absolutely. So as we get towards the end of this section and we're running quite a bit long, this is going to be a long show if you've got the time for it. I know it's late for y'all, but um, if you need to cut us off, uh, uh, let me know. Um, I've got three final questions here for you. First off, is there anything that you feel you've been able to accomplish because of your transition? Um, I've been able to be seen more in my career. I guess that's the, uh, the privilege that I walked into. Um, I feel like I'm heard more and that's not all. I mean, it's not always a good thing, right? Because that is what we want to avoid in our culture 
the, uh, the, the standards of how men and women are treated. You know, I mean, my opinions have not changed one bit yet. I am heard more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have much of a answer for your question. Okay. That's fine. We've got two more. And, and then, um, after the break, I've got so many more questions for you. So we'll, we'll get, there's lots to get into. Um, do you have a favorite thing that you have learned along your journey, either about yourself or about the world around you? Favorite thing I've learned. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I, I've learned how to properly integrate into, into society um, in a positive way. Um, I've learned how to, you know, um, talk to people that um, I may not have been able to in the past um, to get my point across with things. I've learned patience. I've learned um, um, compassion for, for women. Um, I, I see things in a way that a lot of cis men do not. I'm able to empathize with a lot of the struggles that women go through. Um, and I guess that, that's what makes us trans men unique, you know, and maybe desirable for, for women because we, we understand what it's like and um, we have that perspective. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. As we close out this section of the show, what advice do you have to give to young or closeted trans folks out there? Yeah. So <clears throat> I feel like the best advice to give would be to be kind to yourself, give yourself grace and um, patience and enjoy the journey that you're on. Um, Like I've said in the past, um, it's called a journey for a reason. And um, to just forgive yourself and allow yourself to feel everything that your body and your mind is going through and that you're not alone and there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you'll survive. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash The Transverse, and later on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Transverse. Be sure to check out our guest Corey on TikTok at GooseCaboose2011. If you love what we're doing and want to help support the transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com/the-transverse.